Arrakis will become a true desolation without spice or maker. He who can destroy a thing has the real control of it. Hello and welcome back to Rehydrate. This season we'll be reading and discussing Frank Herbert's Dune. This is season seven, episode nine, Canley, covering book three, The Prophet, chapter seven to twelve of the rest of the book. And this is the season finale. Those have varying levels of knowledge of this book in this series. My name is Dan, and I read this book. And I also went back and watched the 1984 Dune because because Patrick Stewart's in it. Yay. My name is Talia. I have read the first four books of Frank Herbert's Dune. Uh, I have seen the 1984 and the 2000 uh, miniseries. And it's been a delight to read along with the podcast all the way up until our season finale. My name is Priya, and uh, along with my co-hosts, I have just finished reading this book, and I have watched the uh, newer film, and uh, I will follow suit with uh, Dan's suggestion and uh, watch the older film, too. This is Amin. I have finished the first book with everyone else, and I have watched both the 1984 and 2021 films. All right. Well, I think we'll just jump right into the plot summary. Jessica observes the trepidation, as only she, and perhaps Aliyah, understand the true consequence of Paul embracing the role of Lisan al-Gayib, Messiah of the Fremen. After Gurney's misunderstanding about Jessica is resolved, Cheney is summoned from the deep desert where she finds Paul catatonic, both dead and alive, having dared to drink a single drop of the poison known as the water of life. After a precarious revival, Paul awakens from his coma and forcefully drinks a full cup of the poison and does not so much share but bludgeon his new awareness on Jessica, showing more evidence that through his survival, he is the Bene Gesserit dream, the Kwisatz Haderach. A raid on Siege Tabor has killed Paul and Cheney's son Leto and taken Aliyah captive. Aliyah is no helpless captive, however, and uses her position in front of the Baron to administer Chekhov's Gamjabar into his flesh, leaving him to die. Paul learns of this not through direct report, but by sensing Aaliyah in his awareness. Paul leads the attack on Arakeen. His strategy takes advantage of a loophole within the military accord of the Great Convention, prescribing the use of atomics being used against people. He deploys atomics on the shield wall, infuriating the Emperor. Once Paul and the Fremen are reinstated in Arakeen, Sufir Hawat and Paul reunite briefly and the man's final act is to sacrifice himself on a poison needle meant for Paul. Fremen forces do massive damage to the Harkonnens, and he himself faces the Emperor. He threatens to destroy the spice forever. Phaedrotha challenges Paul in his closest battle yet, but Paul again emerges victorious and demands Princess Irulan as a bride and a path to the throne. Cheney and Paul's bond is strengthened, as they settle into roles familiar to the reader as Duke and concubine. Okay, uh, we don't have any new characters, I think, for this time, but let's kind of go over some of the ones that we hadn't been seeing very, very frequently um, who do make a significant impact on this section. So we have Count Fenring, a genetic eunuch and a killer, one of the might have beens, an almost Kwisak Hadrak, crippled by a flaw in the genetic pattern. Howitt. Rather than kill the son of the beloved Duke, gives his life for the Atreides one last time. Aaliyah, the daughter of Leto and Jessica, and Paul's sister. Paul, the new troublesome Duke in the eyes of Fade Rotha, and Fade Rotha, the not baron turned baron. 
So again, uh, because this is the finale, I thought we could open it up to initial impressions of the whole section. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, it seemed like a lot of stuff happened in a very short, like, like last time, I think uh, you had asked us for, what am I thinking, <laughs> like predictions of what's going to happen, right, for for the end of the book. And I was like, well, probably a lot of stuff is going to happen, but it didn't seem like there's a lot of time to do it all. But they, 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 they fit a lot into like a very small space. It seemed like the there was like two chapters of kind of setup i think um there was like like there there's like a whole chapter of them just like getting ready for the attack right which was i don't know time could have been better spent i think <laughs> doing that but overall like i really like the uh the, this whole section i i feel like in the beginning of the book i was kind of thrown um with a lot of stuff i didn't understand or like it was like too immersive into into the world right but now I feel like, uh, like by the time I ended this book, I really understood like, you know, a lot more um, things that are happening in the, in the world and, and people's reasoning behind things and the lore behind things too. So overall, I thought this, the ending was fine. It felt like it was setting up a, it felt like it was setting up the sequels, to be honest with you. I kind of felt um, like there's closure, but not real closure and kind of like the end of the first star wars movie or the end of the first the 2021 dune movie so i felt a little duped by the ending which you know whatever it's fine um but yeah other than that i thought it was uh i, I thought the the battle was interesting because i think he's it seemed like it seemed like paul was avoiding fighting for so long and it's it was nice to actually have have him go and do that um but yeah, that was my that was my takeaway from all of this. I think your impression is correct that if you really do want to find out what happens to Paul, to Jessica, to Alia, um, Messiah of Dune, Dune Messiah, yeah, Dune Messiah, the next book is really sort of like an epilogue to the first book. It's a much shorter read, and I think it's not spoilery to say it picks up right where this book ends. Yeah, I thought. I mean, perhaps I might have a little bit of a not so thrilled opinion of the of the ending of this. I thought that it was I didn't particularly enjoy Paul's um character arc towards the end. I've got to be honest, like it felt I understand why it was written that way, but at the same time, I felt like, a lot of the times I had trouble connecting with his character. I think that as the book progresses further and further, we get further and further away from Paul as a sympathetic character necessarily or as a character that we can relate to at all in terms of emotions because there is slowly a turning off of emotions that happens and I, I I can tell that like he has those emotions within him but it's like everything is very compartmentalized for him um towards the end and I think that it kind of like and I guess we'll talk about this more as we talk about like the ending of the book but it kind of like made me not feel too compelled to read the 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 future books because or like the the sequels that there are because I just felt like are we just going to get more of this same Paul <laughs> because I feel like he's just like become 
something entirely other. So, but I guess Talia can speak more to that once we get to that. But my initial impressions were, I'm definitely glad that I read this book. It's definitely a book that everyone should read, but um, maybe I was expecting a little bit more for the ending. <laughs> I think Paul says as much with uh, the compartmentalization. Like when he's talking to the Baron, he's like, well, you know, like the Duke wouldn't do it, but Paul Maudib would do it. <laughs> uh, so like uh, he, you know, he embraces that himself. Um, and yeah, it's also interesting, like his, the, I think they also like, I don't know, like comment on like how he also doesn't care about people. Um, as much as like uh, an Atreides should. Uh, so he's, I don't know if he's like fighting battles in his mind constantly or whatever, but um, yeah, the compartmentalization is definitely a thing that, that he embraces. <laughs> a perfect example of that. In this chapter, there's a perfect example of like, again, showing he doesn't care about people as much as the Atreides do. There's sort of like a fake out reversal where Paul tells the Fremen to leave the equipment and the Fremen get a little impatient and say like, oh, Fremen don't like to leave their equipment, Muad'Dib. And he says, like, men are more important than equipment right now. And you're like, oh, is he, like, taking on the mantle of the Duke? And he immediately follows this up with, we're soon going to have more equipment than we know what to do with. Or equipment won't matter at all. Which basically means, like, either I'm going to kill everyone in the Emperor's palace and take and raid all their equipment. Or I'm going to nuke the planet, destroy the spice, and it's moot point anyway. So not exactly a pivotal moment of becoming an Atreides Duke and caring more about men than valuable equipment. I wish I had that quote in front of me, but I remember like Gurney, like mentioning, like thinking about it in his head, right? Like, and he's like, what kind of Atreides like would not care about people that much? I I forgot. Like, I think it's in that same context and they're talking about like, yeah, blowing, blowing people up with atomics or whatever. Yeah. I think that was Gurney who thought about like how Duke Leto would have handled that. Right. Yeah. I think that's right. It's funny that Paul is the one who says, like, I'm my grandfather's son. Uh, Like, he's trying to make connections further up the family tree than just being uh, Leto's Leto's son. But Priya, yeah, I definitely do empathize with what you say about being less able to relate to Paul. And in fact, when I began the summary, I first began with Jessica observing this happening because she's actually someone through whom the audience is able to sort of still understand more as opposed to just Paul accepts the role at least on Algae. Paul does this but like how those um, actions shape the people around him because in the same way and I think we'll talk a little bit more about this that his son is sort of used as a tool like obviously none of us were mourning the loss of Paul and Cheney's son um, at all uh, but Paul himself is also kind of used as a tool, um, less as a character, definitely in the last section here. And I'm glad you mentioned that um, the the demise of Paul and Cheney's son, because I felt like I wanted to feel more for that, but I couldn't feel it because we never meet the son and we don't even get any glimpse into Paul's feelings for his son. So I think that the reader can feel something for a character on the basis of what the other characters might be feeling about that character, especially if we haven't actually been introduced to that character. Of course, the loss of a child is like a very big loss, but it's almost as if little Leto exists just for the sake of existing, just for the sake of like letting us know, hey, he had a son and then now he's gone. And also it was like really off-putting to me how like... um, uh, Paul says to Cheney, I understand your pain, but there will be more sons. 
And I was just like, what? That is not what you say to a grieving mother. FYI. I'm so glad you brought up this point because I already cleared and got permission to go on this tangent. But there is a perfect example of this exact situation done in a way that puts us into the shoes of the grieving father. And that's in Macbeth when as one of his uh, schemes, he goes after the family of Macduff, another rival. And again, it's in this scene where we learn about their death that we sort of learn that they existed or like just right before. So it's quite analogous. And instead, when the news is delivered to Macduff, he reads, what all my pretty chickens and their dam at one fell swoop, Malcolm, the future king, bristles at him and says, dispute it like a man, you know, like go fight, go kill them. And Macduff says, I shall do it so, but I must also feel it as a man. I cannot but remember such things were that were most precious to me. Did heaven look on and would not take their part? Sinful Macduff, they were all struck for thee. Not that I am, not for their own demerits, but for mine, fell slaughter on their souls. Heaven rest them now. He blames himself for their for his part in their death and for the violence that befell them because of who he is. He feels it as a man before he takes action. And people are able to relate to that far more than what what Herbert does here in this in this section. I think even even in this book is another example of, you know, Duke Leto being like so mad that like they even attempted the life of Paul, like when they they tried to kill him back, you know, way back in the beginning. And he yeah. was like, yeah, I don't think he was like outwardly angry about it. I don't think he ever said it out loud, but like he kept thinking it over and over again. Right. You know, they, they tried to take the life yeah. of the son. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, you really feel it. Right. And like that's and Paul's like, ah, well, what are you going to do? We got we'll have more. Yeah, I think there's a whole bunch of those kind of like anticlimactic <laughs> uh, moments in this book. And as I was reading it, they're like, they can't, you kind of just like skimmed it. Like, uh, like you, you're like trying to get to the end or like, you're just like, oh, I gotta just get to this, this, this duel. Right. And like, uh, like the part where like Gurney comes back and like, that seemed, it should have been more like they, they kind of talked about it all book. Um, and even like the part, you know, through fear as well. Like they talked about like, you know, getting revenge on Jessica and like, and after like, you know, like a little while they're like, oh, okay. That's we're cool, whatever, you know. Um, I felt I felt the writer's struggle, like as you're saying, Tim, like he just needed to like keep it moving. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> do I want to like I, I can write another whole chapter on this? Or just like, I mean, they they, they spent like a, a decent amount of time, but like, I don't know. It, it seemed like it was gonna be like a bigger deal. It and, does fall know. a little flat. Like she goes, like, oh, this is a man who like the voice won't work on him, tricks won't work on him. And then Paul's like, No, it wasn't wasn't her. Yeah. It seemed like it was, should have been, I don't know. Yeah, it was a little bit a little bit more there, but I don't know. Um, the other thing was Paul just waking up, after, you know, like he's like in the coma and they brought Cheney down from from the South and like, it's like this yeah, whole thing. Yeah, you have a whole and, list of anticlimactic moments. So this is, oh, yeah. the, coma, the coma moment. Yeah, the coma. It's like- That was definitely you know, anticlimactic. He was dead. He was like basically dead for three weeks and like everyone thought he was dead, but like Jessica, like, you know, kept him alive. And then it was like, oh, he just wakes up. One drop, cool. <laughs> he just needs to like take a whiff of something and he's up. Yeah. <laughs> the demands of his flesh are so little that he hasn't been taking in any nourishment in the famously comfortable environment of Arrakis, which is not difficult yeah. to study at all, where you don't need any food or water for three weeks. It's just yeah. been there. That was 
Maybe, maybe he dehydrated. <laughs> rehydrate. <laughs> yeah, they rehydrated Paul and then, uh, yeah, became the. Oh my God, that fits so well because it has to do with water too. <laughs> that was oh. a great connection. Great. Um, and See, then we'll, we'll, we'll punch up the whole book. We'll release yeah. our version. <laughs> our sympathy to the writer's strike happening right now, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, right. I don't think anyone else for part of the guild. So we're not, we're not crossing any picket lines right now. Um, and the last thing I just thought it was like, Raban just gets killed off screen. I'm like, oh yeah, he died. No problem. <laughs> like he was like such a, like a big, big force, you know, it's like, you know, uh, he was You're like, just in love with the Harkonnens. Like you well, just, just love yeah. every Harkonnen chapter and well, we, we got, we got the Baron's like, come on, right? Like, because we saw him get killed and like, that was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I, I'd like the, the scene of like him, I, I like the explanation of him, like, how like he was like falling on his side, but he was still like levitating off the ground like by an inch because of his suspensors. Yeah. Uh, and Raban is like, you know, he he's the one that's like going after all the Fremen and killing them and like, you know, really like trying to, you know, putting the screws to him to like, you know, get out the spice all they can. And they're like, ah, he just died. Uh, how? Yeah. By who? <laughs> by why? You know, like. Well, Raban just had major side character energy. So <laughs> yeah. But I mean, even, like cannon fodder. <laughs> Yeah, even like even like Peter, he got like you know he got a cool death, uh, but yeah. And and I think the other part that was, and and maybe I missed some time lapse here, but isn't Aaliyah supposed to be like two years old and she's out killing people and like yeah. they just kind of gloss over that part too that was a two year old murdering someone, but yeah, I think they they mentioned it. I don't know. No, like, I know they mentioned yeah. it, but it's but it was to me it seems she is too. It, I think she, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, she is. Yeah. <laughs> when they film this, like I don't a little know Ewok or something. And yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, at least in the, the 84 version of Dune, like, yeah, it's like a really, it's not a two year old, that's for sure, but she's, she's definitely really, like, really small. <laughs> and, the, and the Baron's death in the, in the 84 version is pretty hilarious. Like, yeah, Regalus, like, you saw it really recently. Yeah, like, he, she does the same thing. She kills him, but like, he, like, he gets on a suspenser and he kind of like spins around and then like the, and then the wall gets blown off the ship and then he like goes out into the, into space or I don't know, wherever, outside the ship, right? But yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot more comical <laughs> than, than the 84 version. I think that's probably why that version is castigated because some parts are like pretty corny. Um, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, like, I don't want to have a whole tangent on that, but like everyone like said, it's like so weird and like, I don't know, I was expecting like really like crazy, like, like Lynchian kind of weird, way different yeah. than it was in '84. So maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe now, like uh, that's just you know part of the course. But I mean, '84 was like much different. But yeah, I didn't find it that weird. Um, I mean, not any more weird than the book is weird, right? Like the book is is, is definitely weird because it has a lot of like the supernatural, religious, you know, kind of stuff ha happening that you can't really. Um, it's really hard to to film, I guess. Um, but I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't find the the film that we, I didn't see like David Lynch, like putting all sorts of weird quirks in there to make it even more weird. It was kind of weird to see like comic Lachlan as Paul. I mean, still, still kind of weird. Uh, and, uh, but Patrick Stewart works as a, as Gurney, I think. I, I do think, I do think the 84 version. So I saw it before I read the book and I, I remember thinking it was, it was weird, but now that I've read it and I watch it again, I wonder how much like how many of the gaps my brain would fill in. So maybe it's, you know, maybe because I've read the book now, it would be better than not having read the book. So I wonder if that's also part of your experiences. 
because yeah, could be all, the That's book right. is so fresh in your mind. Um, again, it, it's probably a good movie. I don't know. I don't remember it, but I think Amin brings up a pretty good point. Whether you had problems with the ending or not, like you've now read probably like one of the foundational canons of like Western science fiction. Um, this book has a ton of influence, and I do think, like Priya says, everyone should should read it or ecological drama, if you don't want to call it um, <laughs> science fiction. It yeah, I'm, I'm definitely glad. Definitely glad we read it. Like it was, yeah, because it's like so influential and so like um, referenced all the time and it's just like revered by every science fiction writer, you know, like it's definitely worth reading. Did you have any trouble with, the only part that was a little arresting to me on this reread was when Paul, you know, wakes up from his coma and it turns out has been able to successfully like go to the place within uh, the Benny Gesserit awareness and sort of like does that mind meld with Jessica. That was easier for me to accept when it was Jessica and Aaliyah. Like I was able to accept a connection between Jessica and a fetus because like all those cells were inside her. Um, but it was a little bit harder to imagine that Paul just sort of like touches her and does this telepathy but maybe i need to broaden my horizons how did that how did that part land for you guys uh yeah i didn't really think about it that much um yeah it, it seemed like at that point like it's just like there's just so much supernatural stuff happening you just kind of learn to accept like for me it's, it's accepted it and, like oh he's like he's a chatterack now and like he just do all this stuff and like you know he he has basically like the powers of every single other power right like he's just like the combination of every single superpower that someone can have in this world like he just has it uh and so yeah, I, I guess like I I didn't even really consider it when when that happened. Priya did ask about the like the shape of the sequels. What I can say about them is there was a part in the end of Dune that I was really looking forward to reading because I really like it. And I reached the end and I couldn't find it. And then I looked through the appendices and I couldn't find them there. And then I realized it's actually in Dune Messiah. <laughs> so I really had like calced it to the end of this book which should tell you how much of an epilogue to this book I find Dune Messiah. And Dune Messiah is the next one? There's like a million of them, right? <laughs> There's uh, <laughs> six written by Frank Herbert and then a bunch of junk ones, but four that I've read and feel confident talking about. And I've probably skimmed or began Heretics of Dune and Chapter House of Dune, which are more about Benny Gesserit than like the core group right here. So how how would you stack them up against Dune itself? Like the first the first book, like are they better? Do they actually like do they add stuff? Do you how would I stack them up physically? <laughs> this is Dune right here, and then maybe like an eighth of that would be Dune Messiah, and then <laughs> another eighth would be Children of Dune, and then God Emperor of Dune. The fourth one is like thicker than the first one. Yeah, uh, and not physically, but like how like how good are they compared to and compared to Dune? What have you heard? Have you been poking around the internet looking for I haven't heard anything. I mean, do you remember anything? I don't know. Um, I read someone's Quora post on um on whether or not the question was, do we read the next few books or do we not read? <laughs> and someone who had read the next few books were like, their opinion was kind of like meh. <laughs> But um, there's a they had a really long like paragraphs response as to like I think the main thing was like if you really want to get more out of Paul's character and that's why you want to read further then don't. <laughs> um, 
I really, really like God Emperor of Dune. Um, I would read it right now, actually. I go back to it. I think it exists um, sort of by itself that you don't necessarily need books one, two, and three. Um, books two and three do not stand on their own. They are like continuations of book one. They pick up um, thematically and chronologically where this book ends. And yeah, Dan's pretty spoiler-averse, so... Uh, I think that's that's all I'm really comfortable saying. <laughs> Are they more focused on the like religious supernatural stuff, or do like they actually get into like the politics of the the galaxy or both? Or because this book is like a bit more, I would say it's like probably twenty percent politics and like eighty percent or sixty percent like religion and twenty percent other stuff. Yeah, I would say that it focuses more narrowly. If this book is introducing this universe, this galaxy. And then even in this last chapter, there's this reminder that like, oh, the Bene Gesserit, when they find dangerous individuals, they like hide a secret code word so you can disable them. So a lot of these tricks and schemes are taken for granted as we go into the second and third books. And we start to see how some of those are enacted, like specific plots which take advantage of what's been set up in this universe. And then the political... I really do think that the fourth book is where more of the politics uh, comes into play. I'm a lot more interested in the politics than any of the religious stuff. Like I could, I could not have, if any, if there's like no, none of like the supernatural religious stuff in this book, like I would like it a lot more. (laughs) Are are there any, are there any big time jumps in the next series of books or do they all just follow one right after? There is a 2000 year time jump. Hmm. I hate time jumps. (laughs) And yet you recommended The Last of Us to me. Well, I think that's one time jump, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that time jump kind of propels the story. <laughs> what what about time? yeah, what about this time jump? Did you with the two year time jump? Uh like did that work for you or I think I think in this two year time jump, Aaliyah has gone from two to four, right? So she's four. Hopefully. So she goes from zero to two. Because <laughs> she wasn't born before she wasn't the time born, jump. Yeah. yeah. So maybe yeah. like less than two. Mm-hmm. Zero to 18 months. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Zero to like 80 years. <laughs> well, we couldn't have had a fetus or like a newborn stabbing the Baron. So there needed to be progression of some time. So I don't, I didn't really even notice the time jump in this one. Because again, the way it's laid on us is the same way it's laid on Gurney. He's like, by the way, here's my bride. And Gurney's like, okay. But they also keep talking about like uh, it's kind of like the the legend of of Moadib, right? Like in that that two year time frame, like how like the I guess he has like his like super soldiers now. What is it, the Fedayikin or whatever? I don't know how to pronounce it, but uh, anyway, he has like his 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 like elite unit and his like really like you know terrorizing the the Harkonnens and like and now like everyone just knows the legend of Moadib. Even the, even the emperor knows about it, right? And so like I think like that's what the two-year time period is supposed to be more uh more for and then paul's also firmly firmly in control of the uh, of, of the fremen at this point because it's, he's been doing it for two years and they see his exploits and like they're chanting his name in battle and stuff so i to me like i thought this this time jump worked um i, I also don't mind time jumps that much depending on the books like i also like foundation a lot and there's lots of time jumps in that one <laughs> true true I think it depends on um, what you're getting from the characters after each time jump. So if you're if you feel like you're missing major pieces of that character's life, 
that can enable you to feel a connection to that character, then the time jumps can feel a little bit jarring. Like I remember um, when I was listening to the um, the Game of Thrones. Has anybody seen the new House of the Dragon? Um, that has yeah that has a lot of time jumps and like these same characters come back to you at the end of every time jump and you kind of miss a whole lot of living that they did a whole lot of character development because they're different people obviously after like 10 years have passed or like 20 years have passed or 15 or whatever and you kind of don't you have to reorient yourself and then after a few episodes go by of course like then you are like okay I see who this person is now, but it, it, it's a little bit jarring at first. Cause you're like, what, what exactly happened that this drastic of a change happened in the character? You can put the pieces together based on what life situation they're in now. But, um, these time jumps sort of like, cause you also start to feel an attachment to the character as they were before the time jump. And then it kind of places you in a, a position of unfamiliarity with the character afterwards so that's that's my only issue with time jumps like sometimes they have to happen of course but um especially when you have a character like paul who's becoming more and more disconnected from the ability to emotionally process things um that becomes a problem for me (laughs) yeah i think like this the the yeah like this two-year time jump also kind of not let us see the relationship between Paul and Chaney, uh, uh, you know, grow and whatever. Like they're just like, oh, we're, we're married now. We have a kid, and, or whatever. But they're, they're they're together and they have a kid, right? And like, and he's like deeply in love with her. Like, and you know, we don't we don't we don't get to see those moments. So I I I definitely see what you're where you're coming from on that one. Yeah, those deep feelings between Chaney and Paul don't feel earned because we don't really have any insights into how these feelings developed. And it almost seems more of a function of prophecy where Paul saw her in his future and then he saw her in real life and he was like, oh, yep, this is this is my girl. And then he just kind of, you know, launched into a relationship with her without an actual development of feelings and then you just accept for face value that oh he has real actual feelings for her um the same with his son I had the question like has he even met his son because like it seems like he's never in the same physical location as his son at any point <laughs> yeah he might not have oh like like he just sent Jeannie desert the whole of her pregnancy and like then for safety that's actually very likely yeah yeah his, his mother did but like yeah he might not have because he's, yeah, he's out there fighting the harakonans the, the whole two years so yeah maybe yeah he's not like a battle campaign that's not a place you bring a newborn so i think priya's right maybe that's why he doesn't care <laughs> <laughs> oh well poor little Lido. <laughs> yeah so like one question i had for everybody was like what was your favorite part of the book and you know in general like not just this section, but like of this book. I don't know that I necessarily had a favorite part, but I agree with you, Dan. I thought the I thought the non-religious parts were more engaging and interesting than the religious parts. So the best parts were the parts without all the mythology in it, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I have to think about the best part of the book was. By mythology, you mean like like world building, like yeah, like, like rooted in you know quote unquote reality. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah. that. How about you, Talia? So no particular character or plot point, but the themes that uh, Frank Herbert's exploring um, in Dune. So power and politics and focusing on how individuals like Paul and Leto and Jessica and institutions like the Guild and the Bene Gesserit and the Fremen manipulate and wield power to subvert or maintain control, um, delving into those like ideas of leadership and governance and consequence. Uh, definitely the, I have more tolerance for the religion and spirituality, although less so in this book and more in the fourth book, which as the title God Emperor of Dune uh, alerts, there's more about religion and spirituality in that one. And I think most importantly and most interestingly to me is the ecology. And that's why I do often pitch this book, not just in terms of science fiction, but in terms of an ecological drama, the importance of ecology and environmentalism and the interdependence of humans um, and their environment, uh, but like the consequences of human actions and the empowerment of humans to change the entire surface of the planet and the need for sustainable practices to ensure the survival um, and how that society changes when those practices change was probably one of my favorite themes that's not you know fully fleshed out and it's not answered for you. I don't think any of these themes are answered for us by Frank Herbert, but I'm grateful that he brings them up in such a pivotal way in this defining book that he wrote. That actually reminds me, like, I thought the the terraforming aspect was going to be a bigger part of this book. Maybe it's like in the future books or whatever, maybe he's setting it up for, I don't know if he ever meant it to be like, like a million books, right? Uh, however many books it is. Um, but they put a lot of work into like, yeah, the terraforming aspect of, of it. And we, it doesn't pay off at all. Like we don't see anything with, with that besides them having like big stashes of water. Right. Yeah. And, and Talia's much better answer than mine. Uh, made me think of something else that I did like about this book. I do like the way the book ends in that it is, uh, it's almost circular. Like it starts with this whole bureaucratic change of government kind of thing. And it feels like it's ending on a very bureaucratic note as well. Starts with the whole idea of concubines and closes with that as well. And I thought that was, you know, a bunch of nonsense happens in the middle, but I do like it when, when authors and creators are able to connect the beginnings and the end so i guess i i appreciated that about this as well how about you for you if i'm to give a less intellectual answer um i enjoyed reading the parts with the baron because i think that um they're enjoyable to read i feel like as much as he is an evil guy um it's almost like you're being taken a little bit behind the scenes of what's going on because you're getting so much of paul and jessica's perspective and the fremen perspective um, when you get to see the Baron's perspective, you get to really get um, inside the head of the villain and you realize that he he's kind of like this almost like comical figure, <laughs> like you can't really take him seriously and yet he has defeated the Duke and he has exerted himself in a position of a lot of control. So I found that kind of um, enjoyable to read. Uh, his in, his dialogue with um, Fade Rotha was was particularly enjoyable. With the ecology um, aspects that Talia is talking about, I completely agree. Um, 
And there's also another aspect that was brought into this section in particular that I enjoyed, which was the idea of mutually assured destruction. Because, um, of course, if you destroy the spice, you're destroying the Fremen in the process. But you're kind of destroying everyone who relies on the spice, not just Fremen. So it's it's kind of a gamble to just say, hey, we're going to say we'll destroy the spice, which will also destroy us. And they'll actually not call our bluff on that. They'll believe us. Um, and the confidence with which Paul executes that kind of reminded me of Luo G, who's just like, 100 percent what was his like uh confidence rating it was like above like 90 percent or yeah, something it was definitely in the 90s yeah, yeah. it was it, in the it, 90s it wasn't quite 100 but it was in the 90s <laughs> yeah it wasn't wasn't weight level but it was the confidence was level high. yeah, yeah. <laughs> call it what it is it's swagger <laughs> <laughs> yep yep true yeah i mean uh i've made no secret that i also like the the baron chapters and they're the most interesting uh i think my favorite part of the book though was uh the fall of Arakine, um the actual like machinations of leto getting killed and the tooth and everything and just like the the coordination of all this stuff that happened to to take down the the atreides family i think was was really well written and it, it was like surprising that it happened like when it did to me like I mean, it makes sense, like in the scope of the book, like it made sense, like that it happened then, because most of the book is like more focused on, on Paul's like rise to power and becoming the Maudib and everything. But, um, you know, I had no knowledge of any of that stuff. Uh, so the yeah, the the kind of the 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 whole sequence of of Arakeen falling to the the Harkonnen, that was like the, my probably my my favorite part of the book. I also liked um, Paul and Gurney's like little competition moment of like, who has been harmed by Harkonnens the most? <laughs> who right. has more beef with the Harkonnens? Right. <laughs> yeah. Like Gurney, Gurney is like, yeah, like you, you owe me Harkonnen. He's like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I honestly thought like Gurney had more of a claim to this because he was like, I was raised in like a slave pit <laughs> and right. Paul was like, well, he, they killed my father. So yeah and my son <laughs> but... yeah. yeah like slave pit son you've never even met <laughs> actually was it was it even the harkonnens that killed his son it was the, the emperor right the emperor is the one that sent the sardaukar to uh to, to get them and maybe like maybe, maybe slide, I, I see. Yeah. yeah i i i swear like this poor little kid has just become like an afterthought in his mind <laughs> we haven't killed him i don't know someone probably, probably the harkonnens how did you i really liked the I mean, I feel like my sleeper favorite character who doesn't recur very much and is a very small character is Count Fenring. And I love that he really just seems to be so savvy. I kind of wish he had a bigger role because he's the only one who, if we're to believe him as a reliable narrator, he like, I could kill this guy. Like the emperor did give me the nod and I actually have the power. I could, I could kill Paul. And I think that he's smart and doesn't get to play a role in the, you know, Bene Gesserit the same way, but he is like the only friend of the Padishah Emperor. So it's the closest we get to sort of understanding the Emperor himself, because we never really get to hear from the Emperor at all. So in the same way that the Baron is sort of like how behind the scenes from Paul and Jessica, our only peek into the Emperor's court is, is through this one character. I mean, the best character is definitely the the guy who asking for the recipes over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I promise you, he'd become a pivotal character. He'd be very important to the end. I mean, he's he's a real Moadim. 
Now you see. <laughs> um, I I, I, the character in that one banquet scene. I, I, I agree. I wanted to learn more about Count Frenring because we also learned in one of the excerpts to uh, like the openers to one of the chapters in the previous section that he was the one who was the closest to the emperor. And then so you would think that this is like his right hand man. Right. And then he um, the emperor tells him to do one thing in this entire book. One thing go kill the duke and he's like nope isn't that what Irulan no can do he once didn't kill a man and that's how yeah so now we find that out but we're like okay what was their relationship the nature of their relationship like up to that point and um you get some insight into that based off of how pissed off the emperor is that he didn't do that um i also enjoy the fact that like it was not until um it was not until this section that we actually get an insight into what he looks like. And Paul notices, didn't he say he looks like a weaselly man? So <laughs> I was like, and you also found out in this section that he's a eunuch. So you imagine this like small little weaselly man, but yet you know that he has had tremendous influence in some way, shape or form. So it's pretty interesting. And also he's evil looking. So <laughs> there's that. The eunuchs in China were very, very influential. They were allowed to be close to emperors because they didn't pose the same kind of threat that other men did. They usually got to write the history and tend to all the... Anyway, I won't get into a lesson on Chinese history right now, but yeah, I agree. It's interesting to see him. Wish we saw more. I was I was looking on Reddit and someone said that they felt like the last book was very rushed. And then someone commented and they were like, it wasn't rushed. If you read the future, like the the next few books, you'll realize like it was exactly as it should have been. And he's setting you up for those books. And I was like, uh, but like people aren't going to read those books that they don't like feel satisfied with like the way this one ended. So I hate to say it, but I really do agree. Because if you just stop now, the good guys win the end and we sort of get to see what happens like after ever after what happens after the good guys win is conquest the same as good governance and how do you what do you do with this empire that you inherit and i i don't know i can't defend his choice to make it this way but you really it does make sense if you read the future books I mean, hopefully they expand the world off of uh, Arrakis a little bit because like Arrakis is like sort of interesting, but I'm like more interested in like the the universe as a whole, right? And like seeing seeing all these, I mean, there's a lot of different planets and like the spice like enables them to travel between them, you know, really fast, you know, by folding space. So I'm interested in that's the the kind of exploration of the the universe aspect of, of the uh, world. Also, we have now all seen, I think we've all seen the trailer for the upcoming Dune film. Um, yep. Do you think, uh, this is going to be a three-part series for the film because um, I feel like it's kind of a stretch to make a, a whole entire movie in book two and then a whole entire movie in book three um, or part three. Uh, but I mean, they could do it. I'm sure that they can do it. I'm sure that they can. If, if, if there are people who are podcasting <laughs> and doing an entire you know podcast on one chapter at a time and also we saw with the um with the series the Re remembrance of earth's past three-body problem the, chi the yeah. chinese series they're doing <laughs> they have 30 episodes on just book one so 
anything is doable, but I don't, I, I don't agree that they should. Um, yes, Talia, I don't think that they should have broken book, t- book seven of Harry Potter into two parts. It's always stupid when they do that. They shouldn't <laughs> have broken The Hobbit into three That's parts. Stupid. That is one book. <laughs> Harry Potter yeah. and the Very Long Camping Trip did not need to be a movie. Absolutely not. <laughs> No, and the, the the series needs to not happen as well on HBO. <laughs> don't like, tell me, don't put that sand in my ears right now. I didn't know about that, and I've learned about it against my will. <laughs> but I hope they don't make three books for book one of Dune, because like I said, the only reason I enjoyed the 2021 version is because I understood what was happening. I thought without context of having read the book, it would feel very detached from reality it's just like a nice soundscape where there's a little bit of action but it doesn't seem to build on itself to me uh also by the time they finish it timothy chalamet will no longer look like a 15 year old boy so i don't think that's a good idea what are you talking about he's always gonna look 15 (laughs) he's immortal he's a vampire (laughs) didn't calculate that in thank you little known fact (laughs) Uh, my my guess would be like they're gonna have just the 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 second movie be the end, end of this book like and maybe like if it's like popular enough then maybe if the the sequels are good enough like um that they'll continue making them maybe i don't know but i would guess i like they're just going to continue it to the end of the, this book but there's not that much left. i mean like it seemed like they did like like what 60 they did until the time jump basically right like they did the first almost two books right that you know the what was the first one the first one was called dune the second one's called uh, Maudib, right? Um, and the third one's a prophet. So yeah. It seems like they they did like at least sixty to seventy percent of the of the first book and the first movie. It's gonna be a lot of just like an hour of like riding worms or whatever. Yeah, your discussion question. It's this is it's time to shine. My discussion. Which one? <laughs> I had <laughs> several. Bria looked up uh, discussion questions, and I think the one she found and shared with us is: Do you think you could ride a worm? Which <laughs> Is not my takeaway from this novel, but someone put it on the internet. I'm pretty sure if I hit the gym for an entire year, <laughs> I could probably ride a worm. <laughs> I am not coordinated enough to, to ride a worm. I'm being sarcastic. I could never. <laughs> I thought I could ride a horse. I'll be tested, so I'm going to say, yeah, I can handstand on a worm. <laughs> yeah, prove me wrong. <laughs> right? <laughs> you need to have the right hooks, though. Like, yeah. Some made handmade by Fremen how would you I think Dan had this question like was this about ranking Remembrance of Earth's Past against Dune or is it against everything that we've uh, read together as co-hosts I mean just any book any series I mean like yeah like we've read now uh three big uh science fiction um you know epic you know series or whatever and I'm sure we've all you know has read all the Harry Potter ones and I read all the Sunglass and Fire ones and you know I'm sure we've all read our fair share of series so I'm just wondering like now that we've read like you know such a seminal piece of of science fiction like how do we rank it among those things and like where would where would you put it among among you know the series that you've read in terms of lore nothing beats Lord of the Rings sorry but it's just in terms of series it's the uh, as stephen colbert said it's the number one trilly it will always be um but um i if we're to compare against sci-fi um i think in terms of what i've recently read of sci-fi i don't think it i'm sorry but i don't think it tops remembrance of earth's past because i just i just remember like 
when I picked up those books, I could not put them down. Like I could not for for the life of me, like stop reading until like I was pulling all nighters reading and that hasn't happened in a really long time. So I was like reading through into the night. So I, I think that still has my whole heart. <laughs> How about you? I mean, you, you didn't read Foundation with us, but you probably read other stuff. Um, I think this was fine. I will say that I appreciated Talia on this a lot. I think her um, her knowledge of the book and the series made me appreciate it more than I think I would have had I just read it, you know, on vacation or whenever people read. Um, I don't know. It's probably it's not the worst thing I ever read. It's not the worst best thing I ever read. Uh, I agree about Lord of the Rings being being uh, great. Um, yeah, I I don't know. It was it was fine. I give it a B. Yeah, I would for me personally, I would probably put it behind. Um, uh, yeah, definitely. Remember, the Earth Path would be like the first one. Like that's the whole reason we started this thing. I was like, I want to talk about that. Uh, and I Gary, I I couldn't put it down. I couldn't start. Couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, I would probably put Foundation above this too. I really like Foundation. I know you guys probably don't agree with that, but uh, I was I was super into it. I was I was into it enough where I read the books after it. You know, even though we weren't going to record them, um, and you know, still reading Eisenhoff books. I, I agree with me and too. Like if Talia hadn't given us all this like extra knowledge I, and I was reading on my own, I might've just given up. Cause I was, I was so lost the first time I read it. Like, I think I said as much on their first episode, like I was just like totally lost on what was happening, who was what, you know, like there was, it was too much immersion for me. Um, but yeah, Talia kept us grounded with the uh, information. And <laughs> uh, so like, yeah. And I think by the end of it, I, I did like the book. Yeah. I, 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 I grew to, uh, to understand the, the kind of world and, and and appreciate the politics and you know it was a little bit too much you know supernatural religious stuff for me but i mean overall like i, I did like it but i would probably put it behind those other two i've read a fair amount of pretty average um science fiction and fantasy books like the martian or basically anything by andy weir um uh ready player one which actually is just outright bad and then some books that i actually enjoyed but didn't leave uh, a big impression on me uh, like Ender's Game uh, which I read quite a while ago and I'm not sure if it would hold up or anything else by Ernest Klein. Um, Dune is one that has stayed relevant to me and I still do think of when people talk about um, my you know favorite science fiction books but again, I would have to agree with Dan that Remembrance of Earth's Past is something that comes to my mind when people talk about books, like not even just within a specific genre. Uh, I still think about them, still read them. And again, they are the reason we started this podcast. But Dune has a special place for me uh, because of how strongly there are people who do feel so strongly about this book. My copy of Dune was given to me by a friend who said like, you know, I'm, I'm evangelizing you. I'm going to give you my copy. I need you to read this book. And I think that's very sweet. And it's not beyond the pale that I could, you know, give away my, my copy of Dune and let someone else go on this adventure. Oh no, not Ernest Klein. Sorry. Orson Scott Card wrote Ender's Game. I'm mixing up my names. That's been on my list to read. And then now that you say that, I won't be getting to it anytime soon. But um, I read it I, as an adolescent, so 
please just take it with a grain of salt when you, when you that, that's a good disclaimer. Um, so I, you know, I, I will add one more thing, which is that when I started reading Dune, I felt that it was giving me more than what the movie was giving me. And then as I read further into the book, I felt like, I hope the movie makes the, this, this, and this part feel and look and sound cooler or like makes it more engaging for the for the viewer um, than how it's coming across on page. And I think that speaks to certain moments feeling anticlimactic, like, hey, Paul is uh, incapacitated for three weeks. And then Cheney comes in and makes him take a little whiff of water and he is back back to life. And why did Jessica hour? That would be fine. I hope they just get rid of it. Like they should just not have that part. <laughs> it would be, be better. It would be better if like they, they just he get rid of the whole change the water of life to prove that he's like a male Benny Gesserit. Or yeah, but you could you could do, do that something. without without not being without being you know almost dead for three weeks. Yeah, because because it makes like I I couldn't at after a certain point I couldn't with Jessica's character like I couldn't because like she just has so much like knowledge that has been poured into her of like generations of reverend mothers and uh so much power that her I feel like her daughter who's like two years old is like way cooler than Jessica now and like she has like already out I guess outsmarted outwitted her mother like and it makes me wonder like I, there is a consistency to Jessica's character that I was not getting from um, as for the further we went in the book. So um, like, why didn't she figure out how to revive Paul? Like she has all this like knowledge at her disposal. She's like, I just had this insight that Cheney was the woman for the job. <laughs> and like, that's why I called you. I don't know why, but yeah, it seems like they fit her character into the plot they as in frank herbert <laughs> he he uses her character in different ways based off how it fits that particular plot moment versus a consistency throughout that's my gripe with her character at that point by the time the book ends if that makes sense fair criticism if a character is really, really well written and someone tells you like an action or a quote, you should be able to say like, oh, that's such an, you know, X thing to do or say. And if you can't do that, that's challenging. But there's, yeah, I will probably update my uh, rehydrate.space profile of like other book series that I do recommend having read Dune so recently, probably The Expanse, uh, definitely A Wrinkle in Time for other explorations. But yeah, it's not... Uh, it's not something to be taken lightly. I do think that even if you don't read all of Dune, you should read the first book. That's my take on it. All right. Well, I think we can stop there. Um, I appreciate uh, everyone joining us this season. Thanks to my three co-hosts for all of your insights and sticking with it over this extended <laughs> time frame of, of reading. I know we had a lot of scheduling issues and stuff, so I uh, appreciate the listeners sticking with us. And thanks for listening. Um, please check out rehydrate.space for release episodes, reading lists, and all the other stuff we put up there. Leave comments by emailing us at rehydrate at fastmail.com, on Twitter at rehydratepod, or on mastodon at rehydrate at mas.to. And we don't know what we're doing next season, but when we do, we'll make sure to put it on those outlets and please join us then. Thanks.